This is Driven Forward, Influential Leaders Powered by God's Will, hosted by me, Jordan Johnstone. The influential leader we will learn from this month is Jennifer Jackson. Though she now calls Atlanta home, she is originally from Huntsville, Alabama. The only child of two scientists, she had to learn early on how to fend for herself as she navigated her parents' divorce and the demanding expectations of their careers. A self-called latchkey kid, Jennifer quickly became outgoing, inclusive, and entrepreneurial. While none of these are bad traits, she did still feel like she was missing something. Listen now as Jennifer begins her story. So I asked this question to Lori actually last month, um, and I thought it was a really fun way to kind of kick things off. So here we go. You only have a 30-second elevator ride to introduce yourself to someone. What do you say to make sure that they remember you? Ooh, that's a very good question. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is I want to know them and by being interested in them, they'll remember me. So I don't know that I would be as focused on what I need to get out in that moment as what I need to put in. And and that's just sort of how I like to operate is, mm-hmm. you know, people don't always remember what you say, but they always remember how you make them feel. So I, I genuinely love people and I genuinely love to talk to strangers, especially. <laughs> so I think my answer just off the cuff to that question is, I don't know that I would be trying to get out anything. I think I would really be interested in in connecting with them in that 30 seconds. I would want them to know my name. I would want them to know how interested I am in knowing them. That says a lot about you. (laughs) I love it. So growing up, um, where is home? Like when someone asks you, hey, where are you from? You know, where, where do you say? So I say I've been in Atlanta 25 years. So I say I'm from Atlanta, unless someone says, where are you originally from? And I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. Because (laughs) nobody's really from Atlanta anymore. That's what they say, although I meet more and more, but that's exactly right. So I'm so used to people saying, where are you originally from? And I originate from Huntsville, Alabama, which was such an amazing place to grow up in retrospect, because it's the home of NASA and Redstone Arsenal and the space program. And my parents were both in the space program. So I grew up in just such an interesting environment where I had every nationality at my dinner table often. My mother's best friend um, was Indian. You know, I had my best friend growing up was black. Um, It was just such a fascinating place to grow up. So it was a bit of a culture shock when I left Huntsville to go to college in Birmingham and actually saw more of segregated areas, which where I grew up, there were no segregated areas. You know, everything, it was such a melting pot of interesting people. You know, Huntsville has more PhDs um, than even the Northeast. So I, looking back, I realized it's so shaped who I am, and I'm so grateful to be from Huntsville, Alabama. However, if I tell people I grew up in Huntsville, but it's not the typical Alabama that you may think of, especially people from the North. They laugh out loud at me, but that's okay. It's still true. So yeah, but I've been in Atlanta 25 years and and this is home now. So how would you, how would you say that that shaped you? I mean, it sounds like it helped you be more inclusive, maybe more understanding of people. Um, would you say that's oh, true? Totally. And um, my parents got divorced at a young age and my mother remarried 
to an Iranian who escaped the Shah in the 70s. So I grew up as part of an Iranian family, too. And then, um, as I mentioned, being surrounded by the most interesting, well-read, educated, you know, uh, people of different nationalities completely shaped me. I'm, I'm fascinated by different cultures. I have a complete ethnic stomach. I love ethnic food more than anything. So, um, you know, there's, I know, like I said earlier, people laugh when I say I'm from Alabama, but it's, it's such a diverse place and was such a great way to grow up. Um, you know, I get laughed at, but it was just true. It's such a little hub of, diversity and ethnicity. So it completely shaped me into being fascinated and, and, and just enamored with all kinds of people because there's so much to learn and there's so much to gain from different perspectives that I'm really grateful that my parents, you know, were certainly of a household, um, even though they were divorced both sides, you know, there was, there was nothing but inclusivity and seeing people for who they were as opposed to anything that's on the outside. So really grateful to that. And God had his hand in that with a lot of the work I do now. It was a perfect setup. So if you grew up in Alabama and Georgia, you're in the Bible Belt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I'd love to know what was faith part of your early years? No, not at all. So it's so fascinating. Um, I, I'm off, often, um, what's the word? I romanticize people that grew up in a Christian home because I just didn't. My parents, being um, scientists and engineers, um, consider themselves thinking people, um, which, as we know, there, there's no greater thinking than through the mind of Christ. But but they rejected the belief system of of God. Um, I think part of that was due to their upbringing. My, both parents were raised in very religious households, so when they were able to choose for themselves, they chose differently. So that completely opened me up to deciding for myself. Um, and so I, I really, God was wooing me at a very young age, but unfortunately without mentorship, which I was so lacking in my life until my thirties um, and without someone directing me, I was, I wandered um, a while until at around age 30, I really came to know the Lord in a profound way. And, and then I, I really marked my, my life from that point. So, so yeah, growing up in a diverse educated place was amazing, but also not so strong for church or God. What was the hardest lesson that you would say you learned as a child? Um, let's see, that's a great, unfortunately I had to learn the lesson older, but the less, probably the hardest lesson, um, was that I, I felt like I always had to do everything for myself um, because I was a latchkey child with my parents being divorced early and both parents working. So I had to learn some things the hard way because I was constantly trying to go at it alone. I was constantly, you know, making the best decision in my little eight-year-old or 10-year-old or 12-year-old brain that I could because I just didn't have guidance. I mean, my parents are great people, but they were both focused on different things and, you know, being an only child and as and a product of divorce just kind of leaves you out there to go your own way, which turned out to for me to be a blessing and a curse. So on the other end of that, <laughs> to make it a little bit more, a little yeah. more lighthearted, uh, what would you say your biggest dream was when you were growing up? I mean, you had parents that, you know, 
were went to space or, you know, worked in a, in a field where that was the focus. So, I mean, was that something that you dreamed of doing as well, or did you have another no, dream? That's so interesting. And it's interesting you asked me that question because here I am over 50 and I've caught myself pondering that question recently. Like, what did I dream about when I was a child? I know I had to dream something, <laughs> but honestly, I can't sit here and tell you, oh, when I was a young girl, I wanted to be, you know, a princess or a nurse. I do though remember that even at a very young age, I was very interested in commerce and business. So I was one of those that was always trying to make and sell something. So now that it just fits perfectly into, you know, my, I I have a very clear dream now that I can dream with God that flows in that manner. But honestly, I don't know what my dream was at that age. I was very much an outdoors person. I was always running out in the woods and very social and playing with my friends, but I didn't, I didn't have that kind of dream. And that might've been because I was in some ways just trying to take care of myself, you know, and it's not a woe is me at all, but I started taking care of myself at a very young age, which I think, you know, adulting can crush dreaming. And that's the one thing I love about um, Jesus as he's like, come to me as a child, come to the kingdom in a childlike way, because when you grow up too fast, you don't dream as much. So I'm, I'm trying to reinvigorate that at this stage of my life of really dreaming into some things that I know God, you know, put in my heart, put in me when he created me as Psalm 139 says in my mother's womb, he wove these things into me, but it's my job to re-engage with some of those things. So Yeah, that's probably not your standard question because most people have, or your standard answer, I should say, most people seem to have a dream when they were young, but if I did, I just don't remember it. Well, and I mean, and I don't think you're alone. I mean, I do think probably a good amount of us (laughs) would probably be right there with you. I mean, I, if I think back, I mean, I don't even really kind of remember what I wanted to do. It it changed. I mean, you're also a kid, you know, so it's going to change quite a bit, but um. But you said, you know, I mean, you loved selling, you know, commerce, buying, you know, that whole thrill that you get, you know, when you're working, you know, to build something and then you sell it and somebody likes it and you make money. Um, So, you know, you said you went to college in Birmingham. So did that, that inner love, I guess, of commerce, did that drive what you went to college for? It did. It, it did. Uh, you know, but I, when I went to college, I still didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but <laughs> I knew I was always working. <laughs> you know, did many of us, I mean, some of us still don't know what we want to do when we grow up and that's okay. I think that's a beautiful thing to be open to change and open to shifting, open to new opportunity. But when I went to college, I studied, I thought I wanted to be a journalist mm. and I thought I wanted to write potentially about fashion because that's that's the direction I was going in. But at the same time, I was constantly getting jobs and it, at that point trading my hours for money, exchanging, you know, money for my time. And my dad would call me and say, okay, are you studying enough? How many jobs do you have? And I would literally lie to him and say, I just have one job, but I would have like three jobs working, you know. Um, three different ventures or some kind of venture on my own. So, you know, for me, work was such an expression early on of 
of joy, of exchange. I mean, who doesn't like money to, you know, especially at a young age to do things with. But for me, it was more the social aspect, the, the working out and grinding out who I really was, what I really wanted to do. So I think that is what led me into what happened to be my career, which I became an entrepreneur um, very soon out of college. I, I worked a job for about two years and then I started my own company. So that was all preparation. You know, even like I said, looking back as a young child, I was the one that was making those little pot holders on this, you know, and, and on the little crochet board oh, and yeah. selling uh-huh. them on the street, <laughs> you know, whatever I could do. I was always trying to create something, sell something. So um, it, it it's just so interesting um, for those people that have kids to see at an early age, what is their propensity? What's in their heart to do? And so for me, work was definitely in my heart to do. And then as I matured and working and, and be, learned to be faithful there, you know, then the entrepreneurial thing started coming. Do you think that you had a healthy view of ambition? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> I <laughs> did not at all. I mean, I wanted to achieve, to make money. You know, when I, I had my own company, as I mentioned, um, when I was 23, 24, and then when I sold it at 30 and got into corporate America for the first time in my life, all I wanted to do was be at the top of the leaderboard, hit the number, um, get the accolades. Um, and that was a whole interesting story of mine, too. I went through many years of that, just striving and laboring and, you know, achieving and and. Um, gain, you know, the money wasn't so much. I was always fascinated um, during that time period when I just kept rising high in this this Fortune 200 company that when I would get my paycheck, it always would kind of surprise me like, oh yeah, this is what I do that for. So for me, it was more the achievement and the accomplishment and the activity um, because I'm a very energetic um, person who likes activity so, um, no, I did not have a healthy ambition, a healthy view of ambition, as you stated, whatsoever, until God set me up to work that out of me. And he um, took me out of the Fortune 200 company I was working for, and I was having huge success still and loved my colleagues. They were my family. Um, but he, he recruited, he allowed me to be recruited away to another company through a client friend of mine. And at that period of time, God, as I jokingly say, took me out of Egypt, took the Egypt out of me and then sent me back in, Mm. you know, kind of like what he did with Moses. He had to 40 years. Thank God I didn't have to wander around for 40 years. I was only out of Egypt for about a year. But when I went back, I was totally different, you know, no more um, interest in awards or accolades. I then became much more interested in raising up people. Um, Not that I wasn't before because I was a a leader and I had a great team and my people were always getting promoted, but my personal heart motive changed. And now I feel like I have a kingdom view of achievement. Um, And so, or ambition, because my only ambition is to advance the kingdom and whatever that looks like, I'm all in. So 
now I jokingly say I, I use my stubborn energy for the good of the kingdom as you know, opposed to my own vain ambitions. So that's a great question. And I think so many women, especially in the workforce, struggle with this because our title, our achievement become our identity. And until our identity is firmly rooted in the one who created us, we we really, all of that is just smoke and mirrors and it, it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. And for me, I experienced such burnout because I was operating for um, the accolades, for the things I wanted to achieve, as opposed to operating out of or from my identity in Christ. That doesn't take energy. When you operate from or out of your identity, your true identity that's rooted in Christ, you actually gain energy as you work. So I just I had such an amazing experience with that. And I could talk about that all, all day, but but I'll I'll stop there and, and let you ask the next question. <laughs> well, and it's actually maybe one that you can kind of feed that into. So I was gonna ask, you know, you mentioned you became an entrepreneur um, very quickly. And so what would you say, looking back on that journey, what was your first big career milestone? And did you have anybody that you can think of that mentored you to that point? No, um, that's what's so interesting about my life. And it takes um, getting down the road on your life a bit to, to look back and see how um, how you operated without a mentor. And I can again say that at age 30, when I had an encounter with Christ, changed everything. And that at age 36, when I met my mentor and I didn't even know I needed a mentor or this person wasn't saying, hey, do you want to mentor me? It wasn't a mentoring program. It was God just saying, you need this person and me attaching myself to them. So no, in my in my earlier achievements, for example, when I started my first company at 24, um, I quickly achieved revenue profitability. I, I started selling on the internet in the 90s. I was doing e-commerce when people thought that was the craziest thing they'd ever heard. <laughs> um, so I, I can look back and see some really great achievements, but I literally had no one there to guide me, to coach me as a sounding board I had one friend who seemed to have the Midas touch in business, and so I could run things by her, but she was like me. She was young and, and trying to make her way, but she carried a lot of wisdom. So looking back on those years, I think, what could my life have been like with a mentor? However, I would not have appreciated or still not appreciated the mentors, and I have multiple mentors now that if I hadn't gone so many years, I had just gone it alone. And I remember going through some really hard times with my business because I was alone. I had, you know, no, no big capital infusion, you know, fusion. Um, I was just bootstrapping everything and doing the best I could. And so it was hard, but it was beautiful because I know now that I, I can work through mentors. I can, um, count on mentors to pray for me. And more importantly, I can go to the Holy Spirit to say, what should I do in this area? It's just changed everything. I mean, like I, I said, I kind of point to around my 30s as when everything changed for me and, um, and having a mentor to disciple and love me really just set my life on a completely different trajectory. 
So when you were 24 and starting your own company and, you know, really trying to make a name for yourself, how happy were you with your life at that point? You know, I was very happy because I was, even though I didn't fully understand it then, I was functioning in my call and my gifting, which was mm-hmm. to create. Um, and and now I fully understand that, or I shouldn't say fully, because until we see Jesus face to face, we may not fully understand anything. So let me correct myself. <laughs> but now I understand more that I really love business in the marketplace because that's where true human flourishing can happen. That's where most the majority of people live their lives instead of the two or three hours where we're in church. And I love my time in church, but that's not our entire life. It's out in the marketplace. So I was so happy then because I actually saw an opportunity, saw a need and created it from the ground up and to see success is so gratifying. You know, I saw immediate success, but then after that, I started entering into the stresses of running a business by yourself that's undercapitalized. So I felt like I kind of had, it was like the best of times and it was the worst of times. But again, that's where we grow and we learn when we're stretched and we're pushed. And so those were probably some of my most formative years, actually, looking back. Next time on Driven Forward, hear about whether or not Jennifer regretted selling her business at the age of 30 when she first encountered the power of influence and the one thing she would go back in time to change in her life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. To learn more about Forward, you can visit forwardwomen.org. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N.org. Thanks for listening.